asking yourself the question of like, what is my relationship to my emotionality? What is my relationship to pain? Can I sit in the frequency of pain a little bit longer and know that I'm safe, right? The biggest problem is people don't feel, um, people don't want to feel their pain because they think it means they're not safe. And that's actually fundamentally not true. In fact, um, the more we feel our pain, the safer we will feel because we realize the pain is just a portal to, uh, to our truth and to deeper healing. Welcome to Better with Dr. Stephanie. I am your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. This show is for women just like you with a deep desire for learning, self-actualization, and becoming more of who you already are. Every week, we are going to deconstruct how to build better bodies, better minds, better relationships, better sex, and better families. I'll be giving you access to world-class thought leaders to help give you the tools to answer this question. What are the simplest things that you can do today to get better tomorrow? I am part geek, part magic, and want to share the juiciest questions, topics, and often taboo conversations that I think hey, I've buddies, always wanted to be Welcome back of, to another episode of Better be with Dr. Stephanie. So let's it's me, your host, Dr. Together. Stephanie Estima. This week, I am talking to Samantha Skelly, and we are talking all about breathwork. This has been a tool that I have begun to use to help regulate my own nervous system, to help release the trauma, both new stress in terms of what we are seeing every day in a unfortunately very divided totalitarianism type of society and some of the uncertainties that come with that but also old trauma, old stuff that has been sort of stored in my nervous system. And we had a conversation with Jennifer Mansell earlier this year. You can go back and listen to that if you want to hear about her approach to breathwork. And today I'm talking to Sam Skelly. She has been a friend of mine for many years. She's a self-made entrepreneur, CEO of two multi-million dollar wellness companies. Her first company is Hungry for for Happiness, which is a movement that helps men and women experience true transformation and authentic happiness through certified coaches to utilize emotional and energetic coaching around uh, eating disorders. And her second company is called Pause Breathwork, which is a breathwork company, as you might imagine. And the mission of that company is to unite all of humanity by helping people heal, feel, through their breath. Samantha is really a pioneer in the weight loss and self-help industry. She has examined the individual and the underlying causes of food, body, and self-love issues, which I think is really important. You know, it's really easy for us to say, eat this, not that. Eat, do more of this and less of that. But if you actually don't get to the root cause of what's De, you know, determine the derangement in the first place. It's just this ever never ending cycle of gaining and losing, gaining and losing um, weight. And of course, she has been on all of the big media outlets, uh, Global TV, Shaw, NBC, CBC, BBC, and she's been featured in various publications, Forbes, The Huffington Post, Elephant Journal, and The Prevail Project. 
So in our conversation today, we talked about her own journey to self-awareness. We talked about orthorexia, which is something that I'm seeing a lot in um, clients that I work with and in doctors that I am coaching. They are also reporting to me that a lot of their patients have this orthorexia, this very much like they have to do it right or else they're failing. We talk about body acceptance, what that means. You know, it's not this set it and forget it type of thing. Uh, Blame and shame around our bodies, um, the nervous system, trauma and pain. We talk about desires, one of my favorite topics and the feminine. And of course, how we can heal through breath work. And Sam is just a delight. She is so engaging. She is so passionate about what she's doing. And I hope that you will either find the time to find a breathwork class. You can do, you can find them really online um, now or in person if that's available to you. I think that this has been one of, aside from meditation, Breathwork has really been one of the tools that has really helped me deal with some of the stressors of the past year and a half, and also to really get into some of these deeper, deep-seated traumas that we all have in our nervous system and this process of breathing in, feeling it, processing it, and metabolizing it. And here is my conversation with Samantha Skelly. I get a lot of questions about how to ease perimenopause and menopause symptoms, and here's a really simple answer for you. Take a good mineral supplement. Your body loses a ton of minerals as you transition through perimenopause and menopause, and mineral deficiencies make a lot of the common symptoms worse. For example, if you're struggling with poor sleep, fatigue, joint pain, hot flashes, or any other side effects that are wearing you down, you might think about giving Beam Minerals a try. Their full-spectrum mineral supplement contains every single mineral that you lose during perimenopause and menopause. And there is a meaningful dose here with close to 100% bioavailability. All you have to do is take a shot of liquid every morning to replenish your mineral stores and ease the symptoms that you might be experiencing. Beam Minerals just taste like water and you'll feel the difference within a few days. Head over to beamminerals.com and use the code BETTER for 20% off. All right, Bettys, I am so excited this week because I have a dear friend of mine mm-hmm. uh, and also just an all-around queen. Uh, I am welcoming Samantha Skelly to the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. It's so good to be here. So excited. Oh, man. And it's I'm so excited to have you here because there is you know, in knowing you for the years that I have, there has been, I've had the pleasure of watching your evolution, um, Mm -hmm. as a, you know, startup, uh, entrepreneur to now really running, uh, what I would call an empire, uh, Mm -hmm. in the space of breath work and healing. And we're going to talk a lot about that and, um, how we can use, what are some of the tools that we can use as women and men as well, you know, all are welcome. Uh, Mm -hmm. but a lot of my, a lot of my listeners tend to be clinicians that tend to be females, um, how we can use the breath to release trauma in Mm. the nervous system, in the body. So we're going to get into all that juiciness as well today. Yes. So excited. (laughs) So let's, before we do that, let's, let's give my listeners a little bit of background on you. So I've known you for quite a while now, but, Mm. and you've been very open and honest and transparent about your own personal journey and your own struggle and what brought you to breathwork sort of living in this like realm of anxiety. So walk us through uh, your history, 
uh, in terms of, you know, your relationship mm-hmm. with food, your relationship with exercise, your, you know, your mental state mm-hmm. and your mental health to, to finding breathwork and what that's done for you. Yeah, definitely. So I had a really interesting childhood. I was an actress and a dancer from the age of four. So my, my whole life was spent on a stage in front of the camera. I was a stunt double for four years on a show called Smallville. And I just had, I was in entertainment from a very young age. So, so the nature of entertainment is um, a lot of rejection, a lot of body image stuff, just a lot of bull crap in that industry, which which came through as body image issues at a very, very young age. I can remember being you know, 10, 11 years old and being in the bathtub and just looking down at my body and just being like, I hate my body so much. And I was a normal sized kid. Like there, there was, there was no, you know, tangible reason for me to be at such odds with myself, but I was. And then when I was 18 years old, I developed an eating disorder. So it was, I was on over 50 diets in less than four years and really had no idea how to eat like a normal person, how to use food for health and hunger. Everything was measured and monitored and calculated. And I had, so I I developed restrictive behaviors. I went on my first um, diet, which was the cabbage soup diet. (laughs) I I I remember that thing. I remember that one. I was living in, I was living in, um, uh, Australia at the time. And so I started just eating shitloads of cabbage soup for weeks on end, hoping that I would lose weight. And then it was just diet after diet, after diet, after diet. And I restricted myself so, so much that I ended up in the hospital. And you think that would be like the rock bottom bottom moment where everything shifted and it, and it didn't, that kept going on for four years. And so there was rest- restrictive behaviors, overeating, extreme body image issues. And why then were you in the hospital? Why were you in the hospital? Cause I was malnourished. Mm. I like mm. collapsed and I was with um, Luke, my boyfriend at the time. And I, I, I just was so undernourished that I just, I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. Yeah. And so I, I, I then developed exercise addiction. So it, it was this whole thing. And then I tried to hide it by becoming a fitness competitor. So I was a fitness competitor for years, getting on stage in the sparkly bikini and the nasty tans and, you know, doing, doing that whole thing. And then I came to this breaking point of like, this is ruining my life. Like this is making me so depressed, so sick. I was disconnecting from friends and family. I'm like, this, this has got to stop. So I started to, I started to get deeper into personal development. My family has always been into personal development. I remember listening to Tony Robbins tapes when I was like 12 years old in the back of my dad's Ford Aerostar minivan. Um, And so it's always been in my awareness, but I was like, okay, I got to sort this out. So I did, I listened to all the books I took in all the information. I hired all the coaches. I did all the things, but I, then I knew everything, but nothing was changing. I'm like, what's going on here? And so I was reading Elizabeth Gilbert, um, Elizabeth Gilbert's uh, Eat, Pray, Love. And she talks about how she went to Bali and she found that that medicine man. And I'm like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. So I flew from Vancouver, my hometown to Bali and found this medicine man. And he basically was like, your brain's broken. Like you think too much. You need to stop thinking. You need to meditate. And at the time I hated meditation. Like sitting there feeling my emotions was like the worst thing ever. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe, 
meditation is different in Bali. I don't know. So I, I was like, all right, I'll go meditate. And I went to go to this class and I ended up being late for the class. And the next class on the community board was a breathwork class. And I was like, well, what the heck is breathwork? And so I went up the stairs and I, I, I did this breathwork class. And this man came up to me before I started and he was like, you are going to feel the whole range of emotions. You're going to feel the highest states of joy and bliss and ecstasy and happiness and fulfillment. And then you're going to release and, and shed a lot of what you're holding on to. And this was at a time in my life where I felt either numbed out completely or anxious. And I kind of just toggled between those two experiences. There, there really wasn't much of anything else going on. And so when he said this to me, I was like, you're crazy. Like, I don't think you know who you're dealing with. And I'm like, all right, let's, let's do the thing. So I lied down and I started breathing in this way. And within moments, I felt what he was talking about. I felt this like activation. I felt this aliveness. And I was like, I can't believe I can do this just with my breath. This is insane. And that's where it all started. And I used breath work to heal my eating disorder because I could finally get in my body. I could finally tell the difference between an emotional hunger cue and a physical hunger cue. I could actually feel my intuition before I was just so numbed out. And then I realized that, okay, if I want to get through this disordered eating, it's not about putting band-aids on bullet wounds. It's about getting to the, to the root of what's really there, which is being in my body. And so that's where it started. I never planned on, on building pause breath work. You know, it kind of came to me, um, which was so strange. I it like dropped in, even the name dropped in. I didn't even make that up. Um, but now here we are <laughs> teaching the world to breathe, to feel their emotions, to get back in, into their body. So it's been, it's been such a cool journey. And I think your story, a lot of women who are listening to this are going to be able to mm -hmm. relate to it. Cause I think that there's a lot of body dysmorphia. You know, you talked about like looking down in the bathtub and being like, man, like, why do I look like this? I hate my whatever body part, my stomach, my legs, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a lot of women, you know, just from the cultural conditioning that we grow up in, like you have to look a certain way. That's your value. That's your worth, you know? And running, you know, nutrition programs myself, I've also seen this firsthand. I've mm -hmm. seen it in my own behavior, but also in other women where we tend to, um, you mentioned, you know, the different, like knowing the difference between an emotional and a physiological hunger cue. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's actually parse, let's double click on that a little bit. Let's yeah. pause there. Cause I know that that's going to, you see like what let's I did pause there. there. Let's pause the breath work there. No uh, let, pun intended. <laughs> Let, how, how would, you know, what was the awakening for you, for you to understand the difference between those cues and how, if there's a, a woman listening to this or a clinician who helps women, how do you begin to parse apart? How do you know if you're an emotional eater? How do you know mm -hmm. whether or not you are reaching for something because you are feeling anxious or fearful or mm -hmm. that you are hungry? This is such a great question. Like anything in life, we always have to go back to what is the intention behind consumption or what is the intention behind the behavior? It's less about what the behavior is and more about what's the intention for the behavior, right? So, so the, say the behavior is eating a donut. I could eat that donut because I am feeling so energetically activated, so anxious. And I just need like that moment of like numbing out to sort of like get through, right? That could be that, and, and that would be under the context, the category of an emotional eater versus someone who's like, 
wow, I freaking love donuts. I feel so embodied. I feel so in my heart. I'm not trying to run away from everything. I just want enjoyment. Like I just want to, I just want that feeling of like, I'm eating a donut. This is so good. And so that would fall under the category of like using food for pleasure, which, which I think is amazing if there's no emotional attachment to it. So it's really about being so present to the behaviors, being so present to the actions and always being attuned to the energetics underneath the action, right? It, it's even the same with like work. We, we can work because we have work addiction. And underneath that, it's like this wound, uh, this worthiness wound of like, I'm not good enough. I need to prove myself. I need to validate to everybody that, that I actually matter or work can come from a place of contribution and service. And I just want to create shit that people love, you know? And so it's, it's less about the action and more about the energetics underneath it. And so that's a really simple question to ask yourself if you're sitting there wondering if you are an emotional eater, and maybe you don't know that right now, but next time you reach for that glass of wine, you know, we could do it the same with like wine or weed or whatever. It's like, what's wine the, is a big one. Wine what's is the a really intention? big one. Yeah. 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 And mm-hmm. I think with, with things like, like food and wine that are so um, socially acceptable, it can sometimes right. be like, oh, you know, just having another, okay, cool. And is there a, another reason that that might be destructive that we need to look at um, that, that maybe we're not, not abreast to. So that would be, that'd be my answer for that. Yeah, that's a great one. And I think it's, it's so important to, you know, you know, even the name of your company, which, which is pause breathwork. One of the things I've noticed is if there is going to be someone who, and I'm using air quotes here, when you're mm-hmm. listening to me, like falls off the bandwagon, like falls mm-hmm. off the way that they were planning to eat. Mm-hmm. It happens in moments. Like it's so quick. It's like yeah. we become unconscious and then we're reaching for the donut because we just had an argument with mm-hmm. our mother or we had an argument at the office or, you know, something That's has that. happened and you're trying to numb. So how, what are some of the the, um, how do we pause in that moment? How do we, mm-hmm. how do we put some time between that limbic, you know, very primitive, I just need to comfort myself. And this is the, this is the teddy bear that I'm choosing right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. To, or, um, okay, I'm just going to kind of sink into my body and see how I feel like what, how do you put space between that limbic primitive reaction and, you know, what I would say your frontal lobe coming online mm-hmm. and, and making a better decision. Yeah. It's about increasing the tolerance we have to feel pain. And so we live in a society where we want to so quickly bubble wrap our emotional experience and get rid of it. Yeah. You know, like something happens. Okay. Do this to get rid of it. Do this, say this to get rid of it. Right. We always want to like, think of it as like hot potato. We want to like hot potato our pain or hot potato our experience. And if we can if we can open up our window of tolerance for, for how much pain we can feel, that's what helps those elongate those moments. So we can get back in alignment and actually make a educated decision coming from a place of, um, being, being proactive versus reactive to the situation. So asking yourself the question of like, what is my relationship to my emotionality? What is my relationship to pain? Can I sit in the frequency of pain a little bit longer and know that I'm safe, right? The biggest problem is people don't feel, um, people don't want to feel their pain because they think it means they're not safe. And that's actually fundamentally not true. In fact, the more we feel, the, um, the more we feel our pain, the safer we will feel because we realize the pain is just a portal to, uh, to our truth and to deeper healing. And the more healing we have, the safer we, 
safer we feel. So asking that question of like, what's my, what is my overall relationship to pain or anxiety or stress or overwhelm or whatever that is? And how can I just sit in literally like sit in the frequency of pain and, and know that I'm safe because the external world is just pointing to things in ourselves that we need to heal and move through. And so if we are hot potatoing that away, we're, we're giving we're giving up the opportunity to, to heal or meet the parts of us that we've been at war with. Something I say all the time is if we want to feel better, we have to be better feelers. We can't bypass that very important step. Yeah. And I, and that's so good because I think that we as a society in general, it has been my observation that we do not want to feel our feelings. It's like what you, I love that hot potato analogy. We see it in our parenting. You see a child, your child crying. It's the worst thing. You're like, it's okay. Stop crying. Like you're fine. You know, and you're not doing it for them. You're not doing it for their benefit. You're totally, totally. doing it for yours. Totally. Um, yeah. So, you know, when we think about where this um, negative relationship comes from with pain where we're like, ah, I don't want to feel pain. Yeah. I have spoken about this on the pod before where it is a conditioned response from our childhood where <laughs> we have had to put on, we have had to alter who we are in order to receive love from, you know, I call them the fab four mothers, fathers, teachers, preachers, right? Like the, yeah. the people that were, you know, uh, engaged in and responsible mm -hmm. for our survival. So if mom was very critical, for example, or dad was very verbally or physically abusive, mm -hmm. you would alter your behavior, right? That's to crazy. avoid that pain, to avoid <laughs> the pain of mom saying, you know what, you look like you look terrible or you look yeah. over, you look like you're gaining weight or for dad to be like, Oh, you know, whatever. And I'm just mm. pulling these examples out of the air. I'm just using some common themes that people might be able to relate to. So how do we begin to change? I guess my, my, with all that pre-frame, how mm -hmm. do we begin to change our relationship to pain when as children, you know, during these formative years where we learned that pain, whether it was mom rejecting us, dad rejecting us, teachers, friends, family members rejecting us. Mm -hmm. And we didn't necessarily have the emotional tools at the time to deal with that. How do we begin to increase our tolerance as adults? And how do we begin to awaken to what you're proposing, which is yeah. to be a better feeler to, in mm -hmm. order to feel better? Yeah. So two, two big things come to mind when you ask that question. The first thing is, what is my pre-existing story around pain, right? Our stories and our identities completely shape our reality. So when, when I have a wave of pain that comes, there's like two parts of me that are present. The first part is like the survival, like, fuck, I don't want to feel this. Right. Totally. And then the second part that comes online for me is like, what is here to like, this is here to teach me something. There's, there's a, a lesson here. How can I, how can I stay long enough in the experience of pain in order to actually feel this all the way through? So I get to the lesson or I get to the clearing. And so just making the assumption in, in advance that every wave of emotion, every wave of pain is a catalyst for deeper healing, deeper truth, deeper embodiment, like more lightness, the more pain that we can feel, the lighter, the lighter we feel in our resting position versus carrying it, right? If we're constantly just carrying this pain everywhere we go, our resting position is going to be heavily in the sympathetic, the fight or flight, the sort of always that low level, chronically anxious all the time. Whereas 
my goal for all of my clients is like, how can we shift our resting position from the sympathetic into the parasympathetic so that our minds are clear, our hearts are open, we're more embodied? Well, that requires a, a, a larger tolerance to, to handle pain when it happens. So that would be the first thing is like, what is the what is ultimately the story that you have around pain and what is the story that you want around pain yeah the second thing is changing the vantage point of how we're viewing pain. So when pain comes in our body, don't sink into it and like view it from the lens of it, don't identify with it, observe it. So observation doesn't mean disconnection, it means observation. So how can I view the pain from the lens of my heart, from the lens of my clear mind, from the lens of maybe maybe you're outside your body looking in it's about feeling it but not getting wound up in it because when we get bound in the pain we sink sink down to the consciousness level of when the pain was first created and oftentimes that's like three or four years old right how many times have you been like triggered and you react right away whether it's in traffic or whatever and a minute later you're like i can't believe i just did that that was embarrassing right mm -hmm. it's because we got triggered we got thrown in the timeline of that pain of that part of us and then we reacted from that place so when we can disassociate not not disconnect or suppress or numb, but just disconnect from it and view it from more of our evolved adults, we change the whole relationship to it. So observation versus identification, how can I observe it versus identify with it and make it about my identity? I used to say all the time, like, I am anxious, I am anxious, I am anxious. And what that did is it made my identity of like, I am an anxious person where that's actually not true. Right. I am experiencing the sensation of anxiety from time to time. That's the truth, right? So it's really about like, what's the story that we have around pain and how can we shift from identification from it into observation? That is so powerful. And I remember when I was in physical, when I was in, had a brick and mortar practice and we would have chronic pain patients, we'd have, you know, fibromyalgia, patients with fibromyalgia. And one of the distinguishing features that I started to pick on quite early on in practice was when the patient would start to call it my fibro, my disease, they would, they would personalize it. They would, and then it would integrate into their psyche. And then when we were, you know, they were obviously seeking help to try and get rid of the chronic pain or, you know, whatever it was that they were experiencing. And there came a, there came a sort of a fork in the road where they could either choose to let go of this piece, this ego, this identity that they had, mm -hmm. you know, identified with for years, decades in some cases, or they could let it go. And in both cases, it was very, very, very upsetting, right? Yeah. Because it's like, you are either, you, you are either your fibro, you're either your FM, or you are a person who is dealing with diffuse pain patterns and you can begin to let that go. Yes. And yeah. So what, what you said is so great. And it would honestly so change powerful. my prognosis for patients when I would, when they were, they would not give up the, per, like, I am anxious. Mm. I am my fibro, my this, my that. It would, it would change the way that um, we would see their, and their outcomes would be different. And it goes even so much deeper than that as well. It's like if, if that person grew up and they received love for being a victim, they're going to keep recreating that, you know? Correct. Correct. Yeah. It's like, yeah. It, it's like people often don't even know why they're holding on to these identities. So you are looking at them being like, you're messing with it 
by calling it my thing. And, and if you go deeper, it's like, well, they're actually afraid that if they release it, they're not a victim anymore. They're not going to get love. Then who and are they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's like, it's like why we we do everything for love. We just, it's just sometimes masked in a lot of like dysfunction. Yeah. And so how do we begin to, so one of the things that's been really useful for me uh, in my, so I, I, you know, with all, you know, transparency and honesty, very much a high achieving Mm -hmm. person, Mm -hmm. you know, very Mm -hmm. much love to live in my head. It's much safer there than in my body. That's, you know, a lot of what the Betty body, my book is about is like sinking in and what I found to be really useful when I did sink in and it felt like I was going to be swallowed up by mm-hmm. the, the charge and the intensity was yeah. I would just start labeling and it's very simple and it may be just so pedestrian for someone like you, but I would start just saying, I feel tension in my throat. Mm-hmm. I feel tension in my heart, like my heart, my chest, like all my sort of yes. solar plexus heart throat area would just feel like I had a a vice on it. Sodium is an essential nutrient involved in the maintenance of normal cellular balance, the regulation of fluid and electrolytes, and your blood pressure. Start your morning right with a refreshing salty tonic of LMNT. It's spring season now, which means I will be enjoying watermelon or grapefruit salt on ice, and it is a fabulous way to balance stress hormones and make sure that I am maximizing my muscle gains. Element T also has a no questions asked refund policy. Try watermelon or any flavor that you want. And if you don't like it, they will refund your money. No questions asked. And you don't even need to return the box. Head over to drinkelementtcom forward slash Dr. Estima. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com forward slash D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A. And you will get a free Element T sample pack with any purchase. And when I was able to just identify whether I was verbalizing it or, you know, if I was having a conversation, let's say with Giovanni, my partner and saying like, Mm -hmm. I'm feeling really tight. Like I just need a little break. I need to kind of, you know, take a little break here. Um, That was really, really useful for me, even though I would fumble for words. I was ugly crying, but I was Mm -hmm. able to, I was really proud of myself to be able to say, this is where I'm feeling it in my body. Cause Mm. otherwise it would have been like some algorithmic output. Like I'm upset. I don't want to talk about this. Like totally. Yeah. It's like being in the lived experience and naming it in the present moment. It it's almost like it like plugs in, like there's, there's this moment of like, Oh, there's truth there. And right. when we can be hundred percent authentic with our emotional experience and furthermore, communicate that to another person, that's huge. Like that is the healing. There's nothing else that we need to do. Whereas the mind is like, I'm feeling like this. What do I need to do in order to not feel like this? Right. Which is very um, structured mind, more like the masculine way, right? Simply just naming the experience and feeling the experience. That is the healing. There's, there's, it's, it's not as complicated as we think the, the, um, the emotion and like the wave of it is so intense. So the mind can sometimes be like, wow, we must need a big plan in order to diffuse the intensity. (laughs) Right. right? Right, But it's not true. It's just like naming it to a loved one. Like, whoa, I am feeling so much activation in my system right now. Like 
I want to scream. I want to cry. Maybe I will do that, you know, and just naming it and being with it and just letting it flow. Like the body holds so much and the emotional experience that you're going through might not even be because of the reality in front of your face. And in fact, it most of the time isn't, it's mm. this like archaic buildup of suppressed emotion and experiences and trauma that over time it gets so wound up in the body that like the littlest thing can like set it off, but it's not about the little thing. It's about the, you know, 25 years of not acknowledging our experience that has built that up. And so much of the world is, is just so emotionally constipated that like the littlest thing, like, <laughs> I love that like we're walking oh, wow. around with like all this, all this junk. And th that's yeah. why I love breath work so much. Right. That's why I, I am such an advocate for, for this work. It's because the mind is not doing the work. We use the breath and the breath does the work for us. The body knows exactly how to heal it if we give it a path and an access point. But what tends to happen is the mind <laughs> cock blocks it oftentimes like, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine. Just keep going, just keep working, right? right. And so like the breath is beautiful to, to just like release the structured mind, release all the reasoning and just get, get with the experience, which is what you just talked about. It's so awesome. That's so good. And this is, this is really, you know, kind of moving into masculine and mm -hmm. feminine territory, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, the brain is like, what do we need to do? What's the <laughs> yeah. plan? Tell me the logic and yeah. the template and the whatever. That's and it. the body is just like, I just need to be right now. I just mm -hmm. need to feel. So for me, always in my throat, I'm always, when I'm upset, it's always in my throat and in my heart. I've had, um, you know, people tell me like, I think, you know, uh, Stephanie, um, major who is yes. uh, a really good friend of mine. She's done Reiki on me before. And she <laughs> sort of described my heart, like a huge heart, but it's like wrapped in thorns, you know, like to <laughs> like to protect <laughs> so it. Yeah. I have to protect it. Right. Yes. For, you know, just for my own past and, totally. and what have you. Um, so let's talk a little bit about breath work because I, mm -hmm. I came to breath work. Actually, uh, Stephanie had introduced me to breath work. Um, and we actually just had someone on the show uh, she's my breathwork facilitator. Um, and we were, but I came to it after doing, so I, you know, years in, in my head, um, I had tried, um, MDMA and mm -hmm. some psychedelics as a way to begin to unravel some of the yeah. trauma. And in those sessions, man, did I work like you know, shaking and vibrating and like sweating oh, yeah. and like, it's a whole thing. It's a, it's whole, a whole thing. thing. However, breath work can very closely mimic that. So there yeah. have been breath work sessions where I'm not on a trip and I am shaking. Like I have a certain, there's a certain mm -hmm. tremor pattern that I have, like my left arm starts shaking and then my hips will shake a little bit. But there's been times when I've been able to replicate that, that pattern, mm. um, through the breath work. So talk a little bit about what breath work is, what it does, yeah. how we begin to release some of the trauma in the body and kind of talk mm -hmm. about the good, the bad and the ugly, because I've had, mm -hmm. I've had some sessions where I have felt like my sexual power and energy has been amplified like a hundredfold. Like I can yeah. call in whatever I want. Like my yes. big ovary energy is like, I can pull it all in. And then there's times where I just need to, I need to be alone and I need to just sob. Totally. So talk a little bit about what a breathwork session looks like and what, yeah. what's happening on a physiological level, how are we changing the oxygen, carbon dioxide, yes. all that stuff. Yeah. So every breathwork session is completely different. Mm. There's times where it is incredibly physical. So you can get, you know, tetany, which is the tightening of the hands and the mouth. Yeah. Mm. It kind of looks like lobster claws. There's times where you will experience pain in your body 
where it's like, what is going on? Why is my solar plex burning? Right. And what that is, is it's just where we, there's holding patterns in our body, right? So where we, where we sort of brace when life is happening, there can be a holding pattern. So when we breathe, the breath actually helps to release that. And so it can be very physical. Other, other times it's extremely emotional and it could be extremely sad or bawling the entire time. And it can be extremely, um, like, beautiful and happy and joyful. And you can literally meet your soul's essence and everything in between. There's times where we can, there, we feel a lot of rage come through and then there's other times where we don't. And so it all depends on number one, the, the breath pattern that we do. So there are some breath patterns that are super energizing and activating, and then other breath patterns that are more relaxing. And so the energizing one sort of, um, uh, helps to get us into that sympathetic to like energize our body. Um, similar to when we are, you know, in, in the tribe times where we had to like go and fight. The problem is, um, right now we're just chronically driving that, that sympathetic nervous system. And so that's having a whole slew of, of health benefits as we know, but when we intentionally create that activation, bring in that adrenaline, it's actually, it's, it, it, it allows for the body to be activated, but the mind to be clear, which is something that we, we often don't, um, optimize for, which is why I love breathwork so much. There's also breath patterns that help to really stabilize us in our sympathetic. So allowing our resting position to be in the sympathetic rest and digest, which is so useful for just the, the ease of the mind, the openness of the heart, right? If we look at like animals in the wild, they're chilling most of the time until they're not, until they have to fight. And then they jump into the parasympathetic to, to do the thing. So breath pattern is um, really shifts, shifts the journey timing. If we breathe up till eight minutes, we call that our integrative window, meaning you can do integrative breath work while you are doing the dishes, while you're working. Sometimes when I'm working and I'm writing content, I'll just do integrative breath work up to eight minutes. Past eight minutes, we enter into the threshold of meditative breath work, which is where we get all of the shaking, the visuals, the cries, the, the um, altered state of consciousness. You're like, why am I seeing aliens? That's after eight minutes. So music also has a huge impact on the session, right? If we're yes. playing like, you know, just like rain music or like soft, gentle music, it's not going to activate the body as much as like tribal beats and like really intense music, right? When we are in that open um, state, we are so susceptible to shifts in, in energy and music is energy. And so every single breath, breath is different. Every single journey is different. And the, the most, the coolest thing is when we surrender the mind's agenda to what it needs to be or how it needs to go, we just allow the body to tell us exactly what needs to happen, right? So they'll, they'll, there'll be a day where I'll be like, I'm feeling really good. I'm feeling fine. Everything's great. And then I'll go into my session and I'll be like bawling my eyes out because my system has learned how to not do that in my, in my everyday life, right? We call that a protector. We're, we're protecting from the real experience. And those protectors have been doing their job for so long. And sometimes they're so good that we could actually be feeling terrible, but our protector won't let us know until we go into a session. So, yeah. So that's basically how we 
that's basically the 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 what is breath work and, and how we can intensify the experience or downregulate it, right? We can upregulate or downregulate the experience. And depending on your threshold, we talked earlier in the show of like um, feeling pain, right? We don't, for someone who's had a ton of trauma, throwing them into like a three hour breathwork session right off the bat is not a good idea. It could actually be more traumatizing. We could re-traumatize because that individual won't know how to actually hold the amount of pain or the amount of energy that is coming into the body. So if you're somebody who has been historically quite emotionally constipated, maybe you've had quite a lot of trauma, it's really important that we go really, really slow at the beginning. So even like a minute of breath work and then sitting and feeling, okay, how was that? And then let's try three minutes and then let's, let's kind of build up from there. We don't have to go so hard, so quick. In fact, that's actually, it does more damage um, most times than good. And classically, that's the type A personality. That's what I see. The person who's had the most, like who, and these are like, you know, I've said before, and, you know, I put myself in this category as well. Being a very high achiever is a trauma response. Mm -hmm. You know, you, it is that I have not met anybody yet who is a very high achiever, who has not had something to prove or has had some egregious, something happened to them in their childhood that has created this strategy of survival for them. And I love that you talked about the different types of breath work, because when we think about sympathetics, our sympathetic nervous system. Mm -hmm. So often in like, you know, pop, like popular science, you know, we say inflammation is bad. Sympathetics are bad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, it is actually, (laughs) it is actually a brilliant response. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. there's been, um, and you know, we can maybe like Wim Hof has been a really good example of breathing to Mm -hmm. activate his sympathetic nervous system in order to drive his immune system. Like he's been, I think like he's been, injected with like endotoxins or oh, something. It's, been, it's crazy. Yeah. And he and, used breath work in order to reverse that. Right. So <laughs> you can use your sympathetic, your sympathetic nervous system is a very potent stimulator of your immune system. It's mm-hmm. just, as you were saying, it's just when we are always in our sympathetics. This is when we flip from it being incredibly beneficial, incredibly elegant, incredibly protective to destructive, right? So I love that you talked about the different types. Is there a, um, if someone's listening to this and I'm maybe speaking specifically to my type A's who are gonna be like, no, I can totally handle three hours. I know (laughs) I can do it. I'm strong, strong like bull. Um, what would, how, you know, you said Mm -hmm. starting with a minute and thinking of sitting with your feelings, would you be, would you be counseling them to do more of that, um, activating, energizing breath work, or is it more of the calming down? Like Mm -hmm. how do, where do you start and why, depending on the person? Yeah. Great question. It just depends on if that person runs hot or runs cool, essentially. So when you're triggered, are you more likely to go into an anxious response where you get really sort of like heady and like quick, like think of it like, like Tigger, or are you more likely to go into a a depressed collapse of the system that will inform what breath path is best for you? So my system runs really hot. When I get triggered, I don't go into a collapse. I'm like, let's fucking go. Right. I, I go into like this activation, this very heady place. So for me, down regulating breath patterns are actually way more beneficial for my system when I'm in that phase. When I'm in like a super just calm, chilled phase, um, I could go either way. But when I'm already in a bit of a bit of a spin, we want to down regulate the system. If you are and and so 
downregulate the system and then do shallow holds versus top holds. When we do top holds, it brings the energy up through the body and that could actually um, create more anxiety for someone who's already in an anxious spin and already runs pretty hot. That's on the inhale. You inhale and hold. Yeah. So inhale and hold at the top. Um, That's a top hold and then letting all the air out through the exhale and holding at the bottom. That's a shallow hold. So we can like the, the cool thing about breath work is the more you work each of the patterns, the more your system gets used to being in that experience, the more that we can stabilize it. And that's the whole point of breath work. Like the more we do it, the more we bring well-being into our body and the more that becomes our resting position. Right. And so um, for someone who's just starting out, you've never done it. Just ask yourself in a trigger do I collapse my system more or do I get really anxious? And so if, if, and I'll, I'll talk to both of these. So if you get really anxious, we want to do more of a down regulating breath pattern. So rather than a force exhale, we do a release like into the nose, out through the mouth, letting that exhale just drop and relax, not a forced one. If we want to do, um, and then the, the opposite of bringing the energy up is we want to, um, let that exhale through the mouth, have power. So it's quicker. It's more activating. It's more energizing with the first one. We want to go a lot slower and a lot deeper. So we're going to go for depth over speed. And if you want to add, um, a sigh, like an audible, like, that's really powerful as well. Sounding is a really great way to um, stabilize our nervous system as well. Yeah. And my, my coach, Jen, uh, who I've got, I've mentioned, I've been to her breathwork session. She's talked about the exhale as, and you can maybe speak to this as mm-hmm. well as being more of the feminine mm-hmm. and the inhale being more yes. of the masculine. Right. Yes. And so when I first started, I was like, afterwards, I'm like, you know what? I really like the inhale. I really hate the exhale. Like, I feel like I can't get it right. And I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And can you oh. please coach me? And she's like, Oh, one of those. Okay. <laughs> Are you talking about Jen Mantel? Yes. Jen. Yeah. Jen Mantel. She's my yeah. first ever employee and I'm, a, I love her. <laughs> she's, she's actually our guest this week. Like at the time we're recording this, she, um, we released her, her episode this week. Yes. So I can't wait to listen. She's yeah. the best. Mm. Yeah. And also check in with your relationship to giving and receiving on your inhale and exhale. Which one's easier for you? Inhaling a hundred percent is easier yeah, for me. Yeah. Exhale. <laughs> and I'm like you, when I, if, if I'm going to be activated or triggered, I'm very much, I get hot. I yeah. have much more of a masculine energy around it yes. versus yes. kind of shutting down. So totally. Yeah. Yeah. Like when I, yeah, when I'm in a spin, it's like, okay, what, what, what do I need to do? Who do I need you know to what? kill? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Who do I need to kill? Where's Eric? <laughs> but it's like, it, it, it's not right or wrong. It's just about knowing your patterns. So yeah. you know your remedy. That's yeah. what it's all about, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how, how has this helped you create and cultivate more body awareness and more body mm. acceptance? Because this is something that I see and I am on a mission to really crack this. And this is probably going to be a big part of my next book where when we, you know, we can do all the things we can do, you know, I have nutrition programs. I have fitness Mm -hmm. programs. I have all these programs for women to help with their metabolic, with the physiological cellular piece of it. Yeah. But I've often 
and this is my own personal opinion, I feel like you can do all the things, you can do all the nutrition, all the fitness, mm-hmm. all the supplements, but if you fucking hate your life and you hate the bo- you hate your body no matter what, yeah. if you're like, you know what, I'm, I'm the weight I set out to be, but maybe I should just lose five more pounds. Like mm-hmm. you're just, it's, there's no point in living a long, healthy life if your body yeah. is super healthy, but your mind is sick. That's it. That's it. That's it. You know, I, when people, I talk a lot about like energy optimization and I love like my cold plunge, my breath work, my this, my that, but, but there's an element of energy optimization in the realm of energetics and emotions Mm -hmm. that it's like, if you have shitty boundaries, you're going to deplete your energy. It doesn't matter how many fucking cold plunges you do. You're still going to feel like crap. And so, yeah, we're, we're talking about like the same thing. It's like, if I have a dysfunctional relationship with my body, if the emotions are misfiring, then it doesn't matter how stable, you know, everything else becomes or how many heads of lettuce I can eat. It doesn't matter. There's still this, it needs to all work together. There's like this togetherness, this holistic approach. And so when we, when we, when, when we're negligent to acknowledge the energy in the body, the emotions, the relationship to the body, the relationship to the self, self-love, not, not self-love in the, in the context of like, you know, manicures and taking a vacation, but like truly self-love, like, can I sit with my emotions in, in the presence of my partner and communicate to them with, and being okay with that, like that level of self-love. It's like, that's the foundation. As far as I'm concerned, like everything else is like the supplement you know, mm-hmm. but people get so concerned of like, what can I do? What supplements should I take? Should I take ashwagandha? Should I not? You know, it's like, it's like, let's get with like the most important things first that drive everything else. Yes. Uh, and that, but that, that's the work, right? You know, Lapera, you know, Nicole Lapera might say, that's how you do the work is that's yep. where you actually start is you start with the mind mm-hmm. and then the nutrition and the fitness, all those things are important to help you, yes. you know, feel better. But at the end of the day, you go to bed with yourself every night, you're alone with your thoughts. It's you, it's your relationship with yourself over the expansive time that you have on earth that really matters. That's it. It's, yeah. it's the difference between outside in strategies and inside out strategies. Correct. Our, yes. our society is obsessed with outside in strategies. Mm. And so how can we, how can we acknowledge that there is an inside out strategy that we need to be attuned to that actually sets the foundation for the outside in strategies to actually be beneficial and flourish. And yeah. so how did, how did breath work help with your, um, we'll call it body dysmorphia and your relationship with food? Like, and I, and I want to ask this in a specific context and it might be a mm-hmm. bit controversial, but I see women who, um, well, uh, let me back up a minute. I see in the online space, I see in the cultural dialogue, this health at every size, um, dialogue Mm -hmm. where there is this push to no matter what you look like, you should love yourself, which Mm -hmm. I agree with to a point. Um, but I do have women now coming into my programs that are saying, you know what, I, I I don't want to tell anybody that I'm doing this because then I'm going to be it's almost the, the opposite has happened now where people are being shamed for setting goals for themselves, where they mm-hmm. might say, I know that I'm metabolically unhealthy. My LDLs are this, my triglycerides are this, my whatever. And I want to make a change for myself. But if I do, I feel like now people are going to judge me because I'm not loving myself for exactly where I am. Mm-hmm. And so I guess my question here um, is how has the breath work helped you heal your relationship with food insofar as 
I would assume, and maybe I'm making an assumption here that you still want to look and feel good and to still have Mm -hmm. the energy in your body to do the things that you've set out for Mm -hmm. in your life. And you want to feel good in the clothes that you wear, but you don't want it to move into that. uh, You don't want it to sort of flip that tripwire where now it's become this excessive caloric restriction and it becomes, you know, the sole Mm -hmm. focus of everything that you're doing. Can you explain a little bit about how, if breathwork has done that for you yeah. uh, and if you, and if my assumptions there are correct. I'm laughing because <clears throat> about five years ago, I did a video called the negative side of body positivity. And it was on this exact thing, how the intention of the health at every size is great, but the consumption of it, people, how people interpret it is, is not good. And so I don't agree with it. And I got someone sent me ostrich shit to my PO box when this video came out. And so that's why I'm laughing. I'm like, I remember when people hated me for saying this, but here, okay. So here's my take on it. It's like, if our levels of self-love are super high and that is the priority, the intention is like, I just want to love my body the best that I possibly can. I want to eat the most nourishing food. I want to get the best water. I want to move it in a way that feels good. I want like, I want to do all these things that make me feel so alive because I'm so fucking obsessed with this vessel. The, the result of that is going to be your body landing at your set point weight, the, 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 the weight that your body naturally wants to be at. So that's my whole take. Oh, that's my whole take on it. And so your question is like, how, like, how does breath work integrate and support that? Well, the more I breathe, the more my body, the, the more I breathe, the more dialogue I have with my body. So before I discovered breath work, I was completely disconnected from my body. I had no idea what I wanted. I had no idea. Like I was, I was binging and restricting like crazy. You couldn't tell I was like the same size I am now, but the relationship was so destructive. I never listened to her, my body. I never understood what she wanted. And so now that breath work is integrated into my life. I have like, it's like a direct line to what my body needs. And let me tell you, my body never asks for, uh, Oreos and Cheetos. Like it, like it quote unquote used to, (laughs) that was my mind. Right. So when we leave, when we live lives that are intuitively guided, our body is going to communicate its desires, its needs, to us that we can just constantly honor. So I'm in just constant, I'm constantly just honoring what my body wants all day long. It's not my mind making up the decisions unless I'm choosing to do something in in a pleasurable way. Like I'm going to have a margarita with Eric. My body's not asking for that. That's definitely a decision of my mind. I'm clear about that, but that's choice, right? That comes with choice. So I think, yeah, again, I think the health at every size has a nice intention of like body love and body acceptance. And I think we can get there, but we got to go about it in a different way. Right. And it's nuanced like anything, right? It's nuanced. So I mean, Mm. for someone who is maybe a size 16 or size 20, whatever, and they're, they have, they don't have a goal, you know, to lose weight or what, that's absolutely fine. But there may be another woman who is the same size. Who's like, you know what? I don't feel good. I feel like the way that I'm eating, the intuitive nature, I don't, I'm not listening to Mm. my intuition. And that's what you just described is, is what I would call queen energy. It's, you know, being able to sit on the throne and being able to sink into her body when she needs it in order to, to harness that prowess, that intuitive prowess that she has and also use Mm. her mind when she needs Mm -hmm. to as well. Yeah. And it's like, it really comes down to the freedom to choose on an individual basis. It's not one size fits all, no pun intended. Right. right? But it's like, it's like, what, what do I value? What's important to me? 
if, if health is not important to you and you don't value it, it's not, it's not wrong. It's just different. And that's okay. Right. right, right. That's okay. But I think we got it. We got, we just have to be real about what's really important to us and what do we really value? Like if someone is walking on the planet and they feel so uncomfortable in their body and they, they can't do the things that light them up. They can't, you know, dance the way they want to, or have sex the way they want to. Like if that's having, if they're, if your body's having an impact on what your heart is desiring, let's figure out what's going on there so that we can get more, uh, we can, there can be more integrity between what your heart is doing and what your body's capabilities are. Amazing. Amazing. Mm So talk to me about your app. So I know that, uh, well, tell me about pause, tell everyone about pause breath work and then tell mm-hmm. us about the app. Cause this is something that has been, you have birthed a child and this is your pause breath work. Yes. App. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So pause came to me randomly. I was driving from LA to San Diego and I could feel there was something else coming. My first hungry, my first company hungry for happiness was I think seven years at this time. And I could feel something else coming and it just dropped in so clear. And it was like, you need to teach the world to breathe. And then the second, the second drop in after that was it's called pause breath work. So this whole thing from day one has been so divinely guided. And our mission is to help the world clear stress using their breath. And so through, through that journey, we have, we have facilitator training. So we teach people to become breathwork facilitators that we've been running for years now. And we train hundreds of people a year in that. And then a project that I've been working on for two and a half years is building a mobile app. So you can have breathwork in your pocket all hours of the day. Um, so it's been, it's been an amazing journey. And, and the way that I designed the app is I, I just basically, I built the thing that I, that I really wanted, you know, I, I, cause I'm like, wow, there's no, there's no breathwork apps to like in the way that I, I want it to be. And so the way the app is, is designed is there's take a breathers and go on a journey. So it's split up into two sections. The take a breathers are anywhere from three minutes to 10 minutes. And then the go on a journey is anywhere from 25 to 45 minutes. So depending on what your outcome is, whether you want to release anxiety, open your heart, clear your mind, release anger, there's the tracks are designed for that outcome. So you just choose the time that, um, the time that you have, if you have three minutes, do one of the three minute ones and then what's the outcome. And then the track is designed in that way. So super rad. And then in a few months on our next, on our next, um, update, we're doing live breath work. So a few times during the day, you can hop on live with an instructor and breathe with the community. That's so exciting. And so with the pause <laughs> breath work, you are training people to be breath work facilitators and people can also join via the app to, to yeah. have the breathwork classes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The app is like the, the easiest place to, to get involved. Um, and then from there, um, there's, there's courses and classes and workshops and things like that. Um, but yeah, you can pause breathwork in the iTunes store is where it's at. That's so exciting. Well, we'll make sure that we have mm-hmm. that in the show notes and any other, you know, the pause breathwork app is going to be in the show notes so people can find it. Any other places that you'd want to direct people to, to find out more about you and about pause breathwork? Instagram's a good place. Um, at Samantha Skelly is my handle. And then at Pause Breathwork is the company handle. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, Sam, I just think you are putting such good stuff out into this world. Mm-hmm. And you also have a podcast as well, the Sam Skelly. Sam Skelly Show. Yeah. Sam Skelly Show. You're just putting out such good stuff into the world. And, you know, I love that it's so divinely guided. I think that we mm-hmm. need more women um, like you and like me who are, mm-hmm. who are really just changing the conversation around what it means to be a woman and how to have that direct conversation with yeah. our bodies. So thank you for the work that you do and for taking the time today to chat with me. Oh, ditto love. It's such a, such a joy having you in my life. So great. Yeah. Thank you. All right. All right. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Sam Skelly. I wanted to take an opportunity here to read one of the reviews that came in for the podcast from Belgique, from Belgium. This is from Cassia. And the title of the review is the best information for a knowledge hungry Betty. I've always been science oriented and I'm so grateful to have found this podcast where you are not afraid to use science and scientific terms and generally do not talk down to women as is mostly the case with healthcare providers and medical professionals. I am learning so much. Big thank you and please go on. Cassia, originally from Poland, living in Belgium, juggling a full-time job, a toddler, and a teenager. Well, thank you so much, Cassia, for that uh, recommendation, for that review. I know if you are juggling a full-time job, a toddler, and a teenager, you are one busy Betty. So I appreciate the time that you've taken to write this review. Of course, it helps other Bettys find the podcast. And if you are finding value in this podcast, I would love to hear from you. Of course, I'm also very willing to hear criticism, constructive criticism, the good, the bad, and the ugly. All of them are welcome because I am committed to up leveling. And if you are hearing something or if you want to see more of something, please put those in our reviews as well, because we review them. Uh, We review the reviews and um, it helps us up level this podcast as well. So until next time, my Bettys, I bid you adieu. I'm sending you love and I hope that you have a great week. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. For those of you who want to continue on this week's geeky magic carpet ride with me, visit bettershow.co forward slash show notes. You'll find research, links, summary notes, musings that I prepared in preparation for the podcast. And I often throw in some of my best practices, bonuses, and links. All the juicy bits are in there for you. 